This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Good morning. Well, a great story of God's faithfulness and one we remember is from the 45th chapter of Genesis. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed they were at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years. And there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, and do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. The second lesson is from the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that it is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, It is raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a physical body. It is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual, spiritual that is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The wind is blowing outside, and when we speak the word of God, the spirit blows through here as well as it did on the first Pentecost, and it transforms us. The gospel for today is from Luke, the sixth chapter. Jesus said, but I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, don't withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, don't ask for them back again. Do to others as you would have them do for you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The Gospel of the Lord. 
just been watching the trees shaking out there. Just reflecting on how the Word of God shakes us up every time we hear it, it seems. And we've been uh, getting a sermon from Jesus that started last Sunday when Jesus was giving us the Beatitudes. And it continues this Sunday as Jesus continues to spout gibberish about loving your enemies and about praying for our abusers. In 1905, Albert Einstein published his theory of special relativity in which he described a world that was nothing like the world we know. A counterintuitive world. A world that we almost can't get our minds around. A world in which neither time nor space are absolute. We think we understand about time. If I say this and then say this, well, this happened first and this happened later. And Einstein came along saying, depends on how you look at it. And we thought we understood that we could say that, well, this happens here and that happens there, only to find that, well, space warps. And so does time, such that we cannot count on time or space anymore. It's as if the solid ground under our feet got knocked out. And at about the same time, the the foundations of what came to be known as quantum mechanics were being put in place, where instead of looking at the macro world, scientists started looking at the micro world and found that The world was just as strange down there as it was up there. And they started describing a world in which an object can be both here and there at the same time. That an object can defy all descriptions to describe it because it's qualities of of size and color and weight and other things can be spread out over other items as well. That there can be two objects entangled in such a way that they can be on opposite ends of the universe and if something happens to this object, it happens to this one as well, instantaneously. And unable to describe this universe, they had to rely on on strange and strained language, uh, words like superposition, non-locality, to try to describe what was going on, entanglement, super-entanglement. Made me think about that hymn we were singing this morning, what the heck is an Ebenezer? And why are we raising it? Streams of mercy. 
the various ways, the, the, the poetic and strained language we have to draw on to describe the things that are most foundational. Jesus commands us to love our enemies. To not ask back when people steal from us. To not resist when people hit us. To pray for our abusers. And the more I start thinking about this, the more uncomfortable I become. Because I become very conscious of how in the world do I preach this to a congregation in which it's fairly safe to assume that there will be at least one victim of physical or sexual abuse, that there will be at least one victim of a violent crime, that there will be at least one victim of theft and break-in? Do I tell them just, oh, just get over it? Just love everybody. That's not the way our world works. Our world relies upon justice. We need justice. We need to know that if someone is violent towards us, there is some sort of, so of a societal structure that will put an end to that. We need to know that you can't just go around and take other people's stuff. We need to know that it is not all right to abuse other people as if they are objects rather than people. And so we have a system of justice that is designed to keep our darker angels in check and to allow our lighter angels to express themselves and to prosper. If we don't have a system of justice, how in the world can we live together? And indeed, when justice breaks down, world history makes it pretty clear that we revert to our darkest selves. And violence and theft and abuse becomes not only possible, but can quickly become the norm. So what is Jesus getting at when he commands his disciples to do these things and to act this way? Well, I think in order to open up this scripture, I've got to talk about two worlds at once. I have to talk about the world we live in and the world that Christ is drawing us toward. Never forget that Jesus is a rabbi. And Jesus came from a long tradition of rabbis who drew, who had lots of rhetorical tricks, lots of literary means at their disposal in order to teach those who would listen. And one of the rhetorical tricks that we see Jesus use again and again in his ministry 
is the device of exaggeration. He commands his disciples to do things that they can't possibly do. Give away all of your wealth and follow me. Forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven and follow me. Love your enemies and follow me. And it's not hard to imagine the disciples looking at each other and thinking, how in the world can I do this? Because I have not yet met someone who, if they are struck, just puts their arms behind their back and waits for the second blow. I have yet to meet someone who, when their home is broken into, does not feel violated and wants justice to be done. And I know that I sure as heck as a pastor am never going to counsel someone who lives in an abusive relationship to just go submit and pray for your abuser. This world does not work that way. We are broken people living in a broken world, and yet Christ holds up this vision of a world that seems counterintuitive, that seems fantastic to us, and yet here it is. And he has to come up with poetic language in order to describe it. And so he tells parable after parable after parable, trying to get people to glimpse this deeper, more foundational, more basic world that he wants us to know, that he is forever drawing us into. He wants us to see those foundational elements and to draw us through that gate that somehow has something to do with grace and love. In our first reading, we hear the story of Joseph. And Joseph has survived things that we can barely imagine. His own family beats him and throws him down a well, sells him into slavery, and it doesn't end there. He gets falsely accused of rape. He gets put in prison. It seems like everyone he meets abuses him. Until finally things turn his way and he comes into a position of power. And suddenly here is his family. Right before him. In his grasp. And at this moment, justice would demand punishment. But it's interesting that when he confronts them, he chooses to define his life differently. Instead of recounting what they have done as a preface to judgment, he instead recounts what God has done as a preface to grace. He says, it was not you 
who sold me into slavery. It was God who brought me here. Now, I have to very quickly nip any thought in your head at this point that somehow God causes all these bad things to happen. Rather, God provides a context in which even these things can be reframed in such a way that healing becomes possible. He says, don't blame yourselves. Don't be angry with yourselves. I'm living a different story now. A story in which grace and forgiveness and healing becomes possible. And then the story ends with that little phrase about you know, we, we've, we've seen these brothers in terror before Joseph, this ruler. And then it ends, it says, with them just sitting down and talking together. Such a casual and familial sort of image. The family has been restored. He once again has brothers. Once again has a father once again has this community. And today, like those brothers, we come into the presence of our ruler with no right to expect anything but judgment. And instead we receive a word of grace and forgiveness. Instead, we receive, like Joseph's brothers, an invitation to come and eat, to gather around the table. Instead, we receive our family. We receive our community. And we get drawn deeper into that strange and mysterious kingdom of God in which these things become possible. And by the grace of God and by the transformation of the Holy Spirit, we taste these things even here in the midst of our broken world, in the midst of our broken lives, until the day comes that we get drawn into the fullness of that strange and wonderful world. Amen.